This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state legislature is back in town to approve the budget and put an end to the 2020 session. But many lawmakers are not happy about actually being here. They're worried that having all these people from every corner of the state could spread coronavirus. Speaking of which, the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Florida takes a big jump, almost 100 in one day, including another fatality. The state education commissioner is getting pushback on his plan for dealing with coronavirus. Critics are calling it an illegal power grab. Officials in South Florida predict a tsunami of unemployment because of all the businesses that are shutting down for the virus. Florida has the worst jobless benefits in the country, but the governor could change that with an executive order. Officials in what's known as the event industry say they're taking a huge hit from the virus and want to be included in any bailout plans. Today, we take a deep dive at failure, a look at some of the high-profile bills that went down in flames during the 2020 session. We'll also have your political calendar of events and an update on Florida Man, who decided the best way to respond to an auto crash was to get naked. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, March 19th. There has been a dramatic increase in the number of confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida over the past 48 hours. There are now 328 confirmed cases, including eight fatalities. And the more they test, the more they find. But Governor Ron DeSantis says they're running low on essential testing supplies, including PPEs, personal protective equipment for healthcare workers like gloves, gowns, masks, and eye protection. The swabs to take the sample, uh, we put in an order probably a week and a half ago for a half a million swabs. We've not gotten that fulfilled yet. We've also asked the federal government, we're in uh, discussions with HHS and asked them to send. If we have enough swabs and we set up the drive-through sites, you can swab people. Some of the state labs and private labs here in Florida could do it, but then the rest can be sent to Quest and LabCorp. So a huge supply of swabs will let us ramp up the number of people that can be tested very, very quickly. So I've told Jared, do whatever you can to get the swabs. Um, you know, certainly the president, um, that would be the one thing I would say would be helpful, that and the PPE for the healthcare workers. When you're doing these testing, you got to be in the special equipment PPE so that you don't uh, ca catch, the, catch the, the virus. Um, some of this stuff's not reusable. I mean, you think like you just, ho you got to use a new one every time. And so that stuff is in short supply. So I've been talking with a lot of hospital folks and that's one of the main supply needs they have. But I think that's probably going to be nationwide. If you look at the last two, three weeks, this is probably the biggest rush to get medical supplies in the history of the United States. Uh, but we can't have enough PPE right now. So the swabs, the reagents, and the PPE, uh, if we get more of that in, we're putting the infrastructure in place, and hopefully we would be able to greatly expand. Florida's education commissioner is facing resistance for his plan to deal with coronavirus. Richard Cochran sent a directive to school boards across the state, ordering them to cancel all end-of-grade exams for the rest of the school year and close the schools and technical center campuses through April 15th. So all we've said basically to the K-12 schools is we're extending, um, not going onto the campus till April 15th. Because we did that, as the governor said, you can't have kids come back and then you need about two weeks and then you'd have to, so we'd be into May for testing, it's not gonna work. But, but what we're saying to the schools is they still 
have to give those instructional hours, and they're going to do a fantastic job. We've had four schools who have already been on spring break. Of the other 63 are on spring break this week or next week. So they're going to come back on Monday. Uh, the, most of the K-5 kids, were, they're going to do all kinds of innovative. They're using the bus drivers to have drop-off points, just like with the food, for instructions for, you know, biweekly. On the 6 to 12, almost all of them have devices, or they have money now that they can spend for devices for low-income kids and internet access. So all the 6 12 will be virtual. And then as the other schools come online, you know, because they have the spring break and the one week off, that ends in March. As those come on through April 15th, all schools will be doing similarly as, the, as being done by Duval, uh, Sumter, Collier, and, um, and Union are already doing it and are, are up and ready to run on Monday. Corcoran is also ordering county school boards and state college trustees not to hold any meetings until the end of June unless it's an emergency. And that's what's rankling some local officials. Manatee County School Board member Charlie Kennedy sent out a tweet calling Corcoran's order ridiculous bullshit. He accused him of using the coronavirus crisis to pull off a shameless power grab. Polk County School Board member Billy Townsend dropped a tweet saying Corcoran has illegally and unilaterally eliminated the public's right to speak through its elected local school officials. However, the Department of Education is standing by the directive, claiming it's necessary based on the public health crisis. If you thought those drive through facilities being set up by the state would allow you to test for coronavirus, well, let's just say check first. Governor Ron DeSantis says they're going to be limited for now to seniors with symptoms, first responders, and health care workers. The priority one group is going to be the health care workers because they need to know whether they've, if they've been exposed, if they're positive, if they show symptoms. Uh, do they have COVID-19 or not? And so we want to make sure that they have the ability to do it. And then we also want to make sure that those folks who are 65 and plus and are exhibiting symptoms, that they have an easy way to go in um, and get tested. So, so those two for sure um, are going to be priority. And then it's just a matter of working with the hospital, seeing the kind of manpower. I mean, you've seen this be tried across the, uh, across the country. And, and a lot of times it hasn't worked. What we don't want is to have people waiting in line for four hours in their cars thinking that they're, they're going to do. So I think what it will be is there will be clear criteria, and then you will hopefully be given a window of when to come so that you're not waiting in your car all day. And then as that gets up and running and that model is something that people are comfortable with, then we can look at, at, at going beyond that. Um, and, and but there's other other opportunities to be tested. But that that is what we're going to do to try to get it to get it going in a good way. Um, the National Guards put a lot of folks there. I mean, I think they've got. I mean, they're they're knocking down. Are they knocking down trees and stuff? So they're knocking down trees to make sure people have room and the cars and everything. So they've worked really hard. And then um, so we want to do that. And then we also I had mentioned we've requested three sites from the federal. Uh, that hopefully can happen soon, but I can tell you I don't think it's going to be where the feds come and they say let's start testing. I think they're going to provide us materials and then we're going to have to partner, have a, a health care provider be involved. Uh, we may have to have some guard personnel. Jared has health care professionals on contract that we can surge in, um, but my sense is they're just going to be dropping this stuff at various locations. If they do choose Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, and then we have the Broward, you know, then we'd look on the West Coast, maybe look at Tampa, one of those places to see if we could partner uh, there. So, you know, this thing is uh, something that is a work in progress, but I think they've made a lot of progress on this thing, and we just want to go and, and get as many people results as possible. I mean, part of the problem with this whole response in terms of the mitigation is you're doing it not really based on a lot of data. I mean, that's just the reality that we find ourselves in. You're relying on half-baked figures from China, 
you know, maybe the Italy numbers are a little bit better, but the extent to which th this is being spread in our society by people who have minimal uh, symptoms and who may not be in these age groups is kind of a question that nobody really knows the actual answer to. Patients must have an order from a physician or health care provider and make an appointment before showing up at the mobile collection sites. Florida's unemployment rate hit a record low in January of just 2.8 percent, but those days are done thanks to the virus. Wendy Walsh leads the Hotel and Hospitality Workers Union in Miami-Dade County, and she says they're simply not working anymore. Across the state, we represent about 32,000 workers in hospitality, and I cannot emphasize enough the devastation that is happening to our workers. We are virtually at 100% unemployment at this point in our industry. Um, entire workplaces have completely shuttered. So the stadiums and arenas are closed. The um, casinos that we represent, Calder Casino, Gulfstream Casino, uh, Majesty, they are closed. They've closed their doors. Uh, we just got word that the Diplomat Hotel, a thousand room hotel where there are about 800 workers, at least in that hotel, that hotel is closing on Saturday. All of the bars and restaurants obviously have been ordered closed, including inside the hotels. And uh, some of the, our hotels are down to um, five or 10 or 20 rooms full. Uh, which means they're at about 5% occupancy, 95% empty. We have virtually no one working, and that is true across the state. Obviously, this is a hospitality state. This is what drives our economy. And so this is hundreds of thousands of people in the state. They are coming to us, calling us, and asking what can they do. They need immediate relief. Miami-Dade Commissioner Eileen Higgins says a wave of newly unemployed workers is about to descend on the state jobs office and they won't be able to handle it. I have spent the past week uh, visiting with airport small business owners, airport big business owners, large hotel companies, small hotel companies, little mom and pop restaurants, um, little mom and pop bars that um, all are, are right now uh, shuttering, cutting hours, um, and uh, literally uh, closing down as we speak. So I feel as if next week we're going to have a tsunami of unemployment um, insurance applications, and I doubt that the state is uh, properly prepared to, to handle those things. Florida already has the worst unemployment benefits in the country, a maximum of $275 a week for just 12 weeks. Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez says three-fourths of the people who qualify for unemployment benefits don't even get it because the application process is so complicated. We're starting off this crisis with the worst unemployment insurance system in the country. 28% of those qualifying for benefits ever get them. We're the worst in the nation when it comes to that. The executive action that we're asking for is to improve benefits. And what this will do is obviously help uh, Floridians and Florida families that are really struggling uh, in, uh, with completely unexpected and devastating losses. But it also positions us as a state for federal assistance uh, as it hopefully comes down uh, the pike. And having the least robust system in the country uh, puts us in a worse position than any other state when that those federal dollars flow. Senator Rodriguez is asking the governor to sign an executive order, cutting all the red tape needed to apply for reemployment and allowing a temporary increase in benefits. 
Meanwhile, the events industry in Florida has taken a huge hit from coronavirus. Conferences, festivals, weddings, bar mitzvahs, conventions, you name it, they're all being scaled back or canceled. And the companies that organize those events are trying to figure out how to survive. Dr. Dan Cormany teaches event management at Florida International University, and he says this is the largest industry you've never heard of. We're the fourth largest industry in the uh, in terms of employment in the U.S. We're ahead of the car production industry. We're ahead of airlines. We're ahead of motion pictures, music, spectator sports. In fact, only healthcare, restaurants and bars, and hotel accommodations are larger the, than us in size of employment. But we're kind of like a good umpire. Uh, we aren't noticed if the program goes well. Oxford and the Events Industry Council estimated that we have over five and a half million jobs in the U.S. alone. We're not just nice add-ons, uh, programs that people enjoy. Events are central to the economy. We're not just small businesses that are struggling. We certainly are that, but we also have, on a global scale, the business events sector supports more than two and a half trillion in total business sales as of 2017. We're not just a large employment industry, but we're a central player in the overall economy, and that message hasn't been communicated to date. The events industry is pretty much shut down for now, and they're trying to come up with some sort of message for their customers and the general public. But David Adler with BizBash says it's not easy. They can't just say, hey, we're still open for business. We're in the middle of a crisis at this moment that is much bigger than just us. So we have to sort of take a breath. And we have to sort of do this right. And we have to deploy our resources to, you know, if, if, like a week, the whole thing could change. We don't know. But yes, we have to get the message that the event industry is important, but we have to be very careful in how we're perceived as well. Just to say, keep open and don't cancel is not necessarily the right message. It could backfire. We have to be empathetic to what's going on in the world. I mean, people are in their homes right now. Uh, people around the world are, are in crisis. So we have to make sure we're doing this in a very smart way. Whatever message the industry chooses, State Senator Jason Pizzo says they need to do it right now because the legislature is back in town today to wrap up the session. We have our final session and the last bill that we're voting on, the bills that we're voting on has to do with the state budget and obviously accommodations, economic accommodations for industry. So all I'm selfishly asking on your behalf is if I can have a concise message or inquiry or a set of interrogatives that you would like placed on the record in front of the state Senate, we can also do so in the House. Because if you guys want to be on the menu of consideration, we just need something that's concise that we can present to our colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Officials in the industry are working on that message. For starters, they're no longer saying events have been canceled. The preferred term is postponed. They're also hoping the state and federal governments will include them in any sort of coronavirus bailout plan. The legislature is back in the Capitol today to vote on the new budget, and when the Florida House of Representatives convenes, all members will undergo an on-site health screening before being allowed to walk into the chamber. Representative Carrie Pigman, who is an emergency physician in real life, will work with a team of three volunteer nurse practitioners to do the screenings. Any lawmaker who shows signs of a fever, other symptoms, or who may have had exposure to the virus will be asked to self-isolate. Next up, a deep dive on failure in the state legislature. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. 
During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. State lawmakers are back in the Capitol today to approve their new budget and put an end to the session. So this is as good a time as any to look back at their biggest failures, the bills that attracted plenty of attention but were never approved. Tops on my list is the Moment of Silence bill filed by Minister and State Representative Kim Daniels. A minimum of one minute, no more than two minutes of silence at the beginning of each school day in Florida public schools. Thirteen other states have legislated uh, this this law <clears throat> and they are experiencing positive results. Recent research proves that few people are able to experience even a moment of quiet reflection before plunging into daily life activities, especially our youth in public schools. Our students would be served well during this moment of silence to collect themselves for the day ahead to make a mental or emotional transition from a hectic situation before school is started. Critics say the bill was a poorly veiled attempt to put prayer in schools because the kids would be free to do whatever during those one to two minutes of silence. The bill had plenty of support in both chambers, but the Senate never voted on it. Another proposal that went nowhere was the effort to move the state energy office out of the Department of Agriculture and turn it over to the Department of Environmental Protection. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida, called it a partisan power grab. The House also tried to put a hold on part of Freed's budget because they were upset that she put her picture on the inspection stickers you see on gasoline pumps. Part of a larger plan, power grab to increase unchecked power of the governor and subvert democracy. Republicans will also vote to hold consumer services budget hostage, threatening ability to protect consumers because they are upset about some stickers. House leaders want to hold up the jobs of 284 hard-working state workers over gas pump stickers. Again, it's an excuse, not a reason. Republicans are threatened, had near complete power for almost two decades. Now a Democratic woman gets elected statewide and the old boys club cannot stand for it. They want to take energy with no plan. They threaten consumer services budget with no regards for the consequences. They are working to erode the balance of power in state government and weaken what people voted for. It's petty and absolutely pathetic. The House placed both of those provisions in their budget. The Senate refused to go along, and that was that. But the threats had their intended purpose. Freed's gas station inspectors are replacing all the stickers that have her picture, and they'll be gone within a few months. House leaders also pushed a proposal to try to place a limit on the potency of medical marijuana. They wanted smokable marijuana to have THC levels of no more than 10%, which is a bit like using training wheels because most strains are in the 20 to 30% range. Senator Jeff Brandis rallied the troops on this one, saying it would dramatically increase the cost to patients, including veterans with PTSD. I'm standing here with my fellow veterans to, to push back against THC caps. Uh, veterans who are addicted to opioids or uh, other, th- other issues this is obviously an opportunity for them to receive medication in consultation with their physician. We think it's incredibly important that they be allowed uh, and we not put the government in the way of that patient and, uh, and physician. In the end, the Senate would not agree to the THC cap, so the provision was removed from a health care bill. 
Brandis won that battle, but he lost the fight for sentencing reform. He filed a bill that would have put a one-year time limit on prison sentences for first-time drug offenders. But sheriffs and police chiefs fought it tooth and nail, and the House refused to consider the bill. Another failure? Caius Law, named in honor of a six-year-old Orlando girl who was handcuffed and arrested at her school for a temper tantrum. Representative Keone McGee says that should never be allowed to happen again. Over 30,000 kids since 2013 have been arrested who are under the age of 10. We believe something is fundamentally wrong with this. We also believe that our system should not be in the business of criminalizing childhood, especially when we're dealing with six-year-old children. A temper tantrum is no basis for handcuffs, restraints in a police car, or mugshots. Kaya's law would have prohibited police from arresting children under the age of 10 unless they commit a violent felony. The House voted unanimously to add it to a separate bill dealing with schools, but it was later removed in the legislative process. Your calendar of events starts at 9. That's when the Council of Presidents of the Florida College System holds a conference call to talk about the legislative session. The Florida Defense Support Task Force meets in a conference call at 9. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. The House and Senate convene at noon to pass a new budget and end the session. The Board of Chiropractic Medicine is holding a conference call at 1. The Criminal Justice Standards and Training Commission will hold a conference call at 2 to talk about a response to the governor's executive order on coronavirus. And the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Medical Cannabis Advisory Committee is holding a conference call at 4. And finally, Florida Man. The one, the only. Deputies in Manatee County say a Florida man whose car collided with another vehicle responded by dropping his trousers. Witnesses say 26-year-old Cody Hicks of Parrish was driving erratically and crashed into a car with two women inside. According to the arrest report, Hicks got out of his vehicle, stripped naked from the waist down, and then began making obscene gestures at the women, one of whom was under the age of 18. He's charged with lewd and lascivious exhibition and will be forced to register as a sex offender if he's convicted. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics and put an end to the session of 2020.